From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Indie Weekly Podcast. So coming up today is a conversation that Indie Week founder and Indie Weekly host Daryl Hers had back in February of this year with former Canadian Idol winner Theo Tams. As you hear at the beginning of this conversation, Daryl and Theo actually go back a long way thanks to uh, Indie Week's former showcase festival that would happen every year in Toronto. Theo, of course, came to stardom here in Canada and internationally thanks to the show Canadian Idol. He was a sixth season winner of that. But ever since the show, you know, his career, his personal life, it's had a high, a lot of highs and lows. And Theo is very upfront and honest about it, including his battles with sobriety. But also, he's really revitalized his music career in these last couple years, and a lot of that is thanks to what he calls the authentic audience he found, thanks to social media, in particular TikTok. And so, in this conversation, Theo really opens up about a lot of what he's been through so that other young emerging artists can learn from what he's gone through and the lessons that he's pulled from that, including just really practical advice about TikTok and social media and the music industry. This is a really, really wonderful conversation. In fact, it was so wonderful that Daryl asked Theo to be one of our music industry mentors in the DIT online music community. So if you enjoy this, join DIT, go to ditcommunity.com. And there, Theo's among the uh, artists and music industry professionals that on a weekly basis is sharing blogs and videos and other content to help inform um, independent artists and music industry professionals about all kinds of topics. But um, I really love the stuff that Theo's doing in DIT. Highly recommend you check it out. Um, So again, that's ditcommunity.com. It's free to join. So yeah, that's coming up in just a minute. But before we get to this week's conversation, we first have to acknowledge that the land on which Indie Week is based is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Ashinaabe, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. We must also thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer, who provide legal services in Atlanta, Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without the support of all of them, we couldn't do the work that we do for the music community. So a big, big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, let's get to this week's conversation. All right, welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us. This week's guest is Theo Tams, and uh, I can't remember the year, can't remember the year, but at Indie Week, we would get artist applications, and we actually listened to them. Imagine that. We would listen to them, and it was very much based on music. Is the music good? That was our first thing. And uh, talking to Theo in the what I call the back, but the green room before the Zoom, uh, <laughs> There's one particular song that immediately when I heard it, I'm like, wow, this this is stellar. And still to this day, I play it. Uh, it's on YouTube. You could find a couple of versions of it. I'm not sure if he wants me to share that part, but it's there. Uh, so I'll let Theo, I'll let you introduce yourself and give a background and, and we can sort of talk about that Indie Week experience, but then get into more deeper where you're at now. Yeah, sure. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for having me. Super stoked to uh, to be here. Uh, thank you to Indie Week for having me on this uh, on this chat today as well. Um, my name's Theo Tams. I'm originally from small town Alberta. Uh, I won the sixth and final season of Canadian Idol, which brought me to Toronto. And uh, I guess I've been grinding in this crazy industry ever since. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. That's about it from me. What what uh, city or town in Alberta? Just curious. Oh gosh, I'm, a from, town called... I'm from Alberta, right? I'm from Edmonton, so I'll probably be... okay. Yeah, <laughs> so a town a town called Coldale, okay, um, which is about 15 minutes from Lethbridge. It's like right so... on Highway Three, in between Lethbridge and Tabor. Nice. Uh, just just nestled right in the prairies there. Yeah, Tabor Corn Town. Uh, That's awesome. it. <laughs> That's it. 
See, Alberta, Alberta has lots of talent and, and you just never know it. Um, so the, the song that we were talking about, uh, I keep thinking this river, but it's, it's this old river, I believe. This old river. Yeah. So that's so interesting. Cause I remember, uh, actually a friend who I met on Canadian Idol, her name was Carly. Uh, she was moving to Toronto. We were both kind of doing our own solo thing. Um, and we decided to get together as a duo and kind of just have this side project called uh, Beyond the Mountain. And we had written a couple tunes. We had recorded a couple tunes, This Old River being one of them. And then the Indie Week application came around and all of this happened so quick. We weren't even a group for longer than I think six weeks maybe at this point. And then all of a sudden we were performing at Indie Week together and this song was out there and uh, we ended up um, getting nominated and winning a bunch of uh, the Toronto Independent Music Awards. And it was just this whirlwind. And then about like four months later, uh, Carly was like, I just, I really don't like Toronto. Like, I got to go. I got to go back to Vancouver. And I was like, what? I was like, well, what do you mean? So it was, uh, it was a short-lived uh, little, you know, passion project for the both of us. But uh, we were even in that short amount of time, able to really create some magic, which was, uh, you know, exciting and a good learning opportunity for us both, I'm sure. Yeah, it was awesome. And, and uh, funny, I've Thank had you. a similar experience because uh, I moved here from Edmonton with a band. They hated Toronto and went mm. back to Edmonton and I was in Toronto by myself. So uh, <laughs> right. I totally, totally get that. It seems to be... It burns, it burns. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well... Okay, so let's let's sort of go through uh, a little bit about get us to up to say COVID hits. So so Canadian Idol, new duo, um, right? What have you been up to? Um, I mean, there was the whole Canadian Idol experience for me was such a ride. It was such a roller coaster. Um, you know, it was very much and i feel like i was maybe one of the luckier ones from that entire franchise because i went on a little bit older even though i was still young i was 23 when i won um but definitely you know not a not a teenager um so i went in kind of with the mindset that this was not in any way going to bring global superstardom you know this was going to be you know uh a rock that I could use to kind of a stepping stone that I could use to get further to where I wanted to be. I always kind of had that in the back of my mind to keep my expectations realistic on what this might uh, accomplish for me. And first and foremost, I really just wanted to hopefully, whether I won or not, I wanted to make enough connections to be able to get out of Southern Alberta, which at the time was kind of kind of a toxic environment for me. I had, you know, just come out of the closet and I grew up in a very conservative religious uh, family. So at the time when I was on Idol, there was so much going on bigger than music uh, that I, um, yeah, like I said, I was just really hoping that it would bring me to Toronto that I could kind of make a go of it as, as an artist. Um, so I signed to part of the the prize uh, the winning is um, a record contract with Sony at the time um, which was uh, you know also I feel like winning that show is just industry 101 you get thrown through the ringer so quickly of how this industry actually works all the behind the scenes um, I had never you know recorded a record before I had I had kind of written and released a little, you know, EP of my own back in, in Alberta. Um, but really kind of figuring out what the process is of making a record with a major label. All of that was so brand new to me. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot. I do feel like my working relationship with Sony was an arranged marriage of sorts. I feel like <laughs> they, they weren't necessarily too keen on working with me, I certainly wasn't too keen on on working with them. We had very different visions of what my career and what my album was going to, what my career was going to look like, what my album was going to sound like. So um, I feel like 
for the better part of our working relationship, we were really tr kind of butting heads on on what creatively Theo Tams was going to be presented as to the market, um, which was a challenge. Um, but I was able to, for the most part, uh, negotiate myself out of that deal. Um, I found Slate Music, who I'm still with, uh, and I've been with them since about 2011, 2012, I believe. And uh, for those of you in Canada who don't know much about Slate Music, they are just an incredible music incubator. Um, they very much are of the mind that the music industry, and I think sometimes the higher ups in the music industry forget that none of you would have jobs if it weren't for the artists who are, who are writing and releasing and recording music, right? So I think Slate Music definitely has that at the forefront that they have to support and foster Canadian talent. Um, but I also ended up taking a big step away from music for a number of years, probably 2015 to 2015 to 2017, maybe even 2018 early. Um, music was the most important relationship in my life uh, and still is, but I at that time just really, um, I, I hated it. I wasn't listening to music anymore. I wasn't writing it anymore. I wasn't singing anymore. And I knew that if I ever wanted to get the relationship that I had with music back, that I had to kind of step away um, for a few years and kind of just recalibrate and find out and connect with, you know, the Theo who existed before Idol. That was such a whirlwind experience. And um, I had to kind of come back to myself and come back to my music a little bit. Uh, and then 2018, I released, I call it like my diary album. Uh, I released an EP called Call the Doctor, which was uh, just a collection of seven songs that were extremely personal. Uh, probably one of the only times I've ever really butt heads with Slate was that album, because I kind of I just really fought for it. I knew that commercially it wasn't going to be the most successful because it wasn't an accessible album. It was so ultra personal. Um, but what I love, especially now where I am in my career, is that when people are diving into the catalog, they're finding those songs and they're, you know, they're hearing themselves and they're seeing themselves in those songs that at the time were so personal uh to me so call the doctor dropped and we did that cycle and uh we were about to get on the road i had kind of kicked off um an eastern tour in ottawa at the national art center um march 6th of 2020 was that show and i think march 8th uh we were in lockdown so uh then then the world changed as we know it and and here we are doing this virtually Wow. Um, lots to, lots to sort of think about there. And I want to ask a question. Um, the Theo of right now, if you had a chance to go back and give advice to Theo before idol, what would you, what would you say to that person? Uh, <laughs> what wouldn't I say to that person? <laughs> I think the first thing, I think the first thing I would say is uh put the bottle down i already at that point at 22 23 years old was already a very problematic drinker um the pressure that mounted and came with winning idol and kind of you know learning to navigate social media was relatively new at that point i think we all had facebook but i remember after i won Twitter was just becoming a thing. Instagram was just becoming a thing. You know, TikTok was, you know, 10 years past kind of, you know, we weren't even near TikTok. But I think, yeah, the pressure that came with that show was was really challenging and kind of also where my addiction and, and substance abuse really 
spiraled out of control. So I think that's the first thing I would say is just don't be an idiot and put the bottle down. Um, I think the second thing that I would say is don't let anyone tell you that there is a wrong way to be an artist. Don't let anyone tell you that there is a wrong way to write a song. I think that there's always better ways, but there's never wrong ways, if that makes sense. There's always a better way to be an artist. There's always a better way to write a song, but there's never a wrong way. And I feel like when you come from a show like Idol, that is so, you know, simply based on, you know, the vocal or the story, and it's not a songwriting show, uh, there was many, many people in the industry who just simply didn't believe that I could be a songwriter because I came from that show. So um, I wish that I had a little bit more of the wherewithal, which I think just comes with time and with uh, growing up and maturity to uh, have a bit more, to be willing to take up a bit more space in some of those sessions and in some of those meetings. Um, but yeah, I would say both of those things. Don't let, uh, put the bottle down and don't let, uh, don't let anyone tell you that there's a, a wrong way to, to be an artist. But both are, are really uh, good, good pieces of advice. And I've seen a lot of that in this industry, both of those um, mm. firsthand. Like I've seen a lot of people, <clears throat> you know, get misdirected. Um, I'll just sort of share a quick story. I remember um, uh, I was booking a venue uh, downtown and I got a call from a Sloan's manager He's like, I need to showcase this artist like right now. And because um, they have a chance for a record deal. So we literally, uh, I think doors opened at seven and they played at 710 the next day. Uh, that's how fast mm. we had to put this together. And then two weeks they were signed and an album came out. And when the album came out, I was like, that's not the same band. Like what's going on? Right. And, and then I asked him and they're like, oh, Peter's not managing them anymore. They got the deal because of Peter. And then he, the label got rid of the manager because they wanted to mold the band a certain way. And I think they had two albums out because they probably had a two album deal, but literally no support by second album. And they're done and gone uh, in a few right. years. So much potential there. If they would have stayed who they were is really what I thought. Mm -hmm. um, they yeah. were kind of like this New York, punk kind of rock really gritty and then when they came out it was like full-on fashion they went from wearing all black to wearing all white and okay like, even night and day and so so yeah i really believe in that advice in in you know you got to kind of like stick to your guns too uh when you know something is true to you um what's that yeah and so it's interesting that you took a step away from everything to kind of refine yourself um, and, and now moving forward, like you were about to launch a tour and then lockdown, um, mm -hmm. let's go through that a little bit. Cause that can't be easy. Like, especially like, Oh, all this time. And here we go at full stop. Here we are lockdown. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, super, super, you know, disappointing. Um, I remember, you know, the first couple weeks of, the pandemic, maybe even the first couple months, and you know, seeing everyone start to wear masks, and you know, seeing you know everyone at the grocery stores, you know, like wearing gloves. Like, remember how just how crazy it was in the beginning? And I remember saying to my partner, like, I I cannot exist in a world like this. Like, this is terrifying to me. And I saw everyone just, you know, happy as clams, putting their little mask on and gloving up and doing going about their business. And it just seemed like things had gone in slow motion for me. And I saw everyone so able to adapt. At least that's what it looked like. And I'm sure that it was a struggle for so many people as well. But from my end, it just seemed like this was so much easier to adapt for so many others than uh, myself. And uh, I spent probably from March until December, uh, either, you know, I was either 
and I can joke about it now because I'm 26 months sober, but I say those first nine months of the pandemic, I was, you know, either drunk, drinking or hungover. That was my life. And uh, so I had my last drink on December 6th in 2020. And that's when I think there was a very radical shift in my music and in my career was that, um, you know, I was, I kind of had this newfound clarity and uh, I, you know, I haven't looked back since that, since that day. Um, But I also, I feel like so many of us as adults in the pandemic were like, oh, we were so bored. We were stuck at home that like, I feel like every adult over 30 downloaded TikTok and we were like, this was like our new, you know, form of entertainment. And I resisted it. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be, you know, a 35 year old man on TikTok, you know, competing with these children. I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, and then I caved and uh, I started a TikTok account. Um, and it is so wild to say two years later that that platform singularly that platform has completely revitalized my entire career um it started with you know just simple 30 45 second cover videos uh and i started to build a little bit of a following there um very slowly very very gradually and then i remember going down into my home studio and uh i don't know if any of you guys have pets dogs or cats at home but they have viral potential written all over them and uh i have two dogs i have two great danes uh so just big beasts at the time i only had uh, my oldest roosevelt and i was down in the studio sitting at my piano kind of just hashing out some music and uh roosevelt comes sauntering over and he puts his huge head right on my shoulder as I'm playing. And uh, I said to myself, if there's anything that I could post that's gonna go viral on TikTok, it is this moment. So I quickly hit the record button on my phone and I played a little bit of Angel by Sarah McLaughlin, which of course is like the big SPCA song, right, in America. It's like the animals get that get dropped off at shelters. They play Angel by Sarah McLaughlin. So you have this big beast of a dog while I'm playing Angel by Sarah McLaughlin. And I got maybe a minute of it. And uh, I don't post it right away. I'm not really even thinking of it. Later on that night, I was like, oh, yeah, I should post that video. So I post the video and I go take a shower. And when I come out of the shower, 25 minutes later, the video has about a quarter of a million views in about 25 minutes. And I was like, holy shit, like this is, this is something. Uh, And then uh, I was kind of watching it for a bit, but this was kind of my first viral moment on TikTok. And I went to bed with maybe seven, 8,000 followers. And I woke up the next morning and I had 50,000 followers, all from this one video. And that's kind of what really made me realize that there is an audience at our fingertips. And sometimes in the way that this industry has so rapidly shifted, where it isn't simply enough, I don't think these days, at least not when you're an emerging artist or not when you're trying to get your music heard, it's not enough to simply, I shouldn't say it's not enough, but it's very rarely enough that your music is going to be the thing that makes people want to invest in you because we're an artist, we're singing our hearts out. Um, but so is, you know, a hundred million others across the world. So what is going to be the thing that, uh, makes people latch onto you and root for you. Uh, So I started, I tried to milk this dog video for all it was worth for like 
probably three months, even still now, sometimes when I see the algorithm slowing down, I like call the dog up and do a quick video with the dog just to give me a little power boost. Um, <laughs> but I found what was just really interesting about it is that I really started to treat my TikTok as though it was my own TV channel. And I started to let people into my life. I started to talk about the challenges I was facing with sobriety. I started to talk about, you know, the, the issues that I have sometimes with my conservative family. I started to talk a little bit about how relationships, romantic relationships are hard, hard work sometimes. I just started to open up about the things that inspire what I write about. So that when I released a song, people would be like, ooh, I wonder if it's about that. Or I wonder if he's writing about that moment that he talked about, you know, two months ago. And they started to have a bit more context and attachment to the music. All the while, I'm still pumping out dog videos and cover songs and originals. And, you know, I think I just hit 152,000 followers on TikTok. Um, and it still is, there's very, very consistent growth. It's been nice to see, you know, a lot of that growth um, transition to these DSPs like Spotify and Apple Music. Um, but there are so, so if you're an artist watching this, I just encourage you, and it doesn't have to be TikTok, it can be Facebook, it can be Instagram, but I would say try to utilize your social media to find your crew they are out there it's just what is going to set you apart what other things do you love what other things are you passionate about to find those people you know like there are you know i remember walking down the street in toronto i was i never go downtown i very much stick to my neighborhood but i went downtown with a friend and some person stopped me at young and dundas square and was like oh my God, like you're the guy that sings to his dog on TikTok. And I said to myself, I was like, I have finally made it because it is the first time in my career that someone said, someone recognized me from something other than Canadian Idol. And I said, I feel like I have finally been able to turn that ball a little bit, that weight of, uh, of winning that show. So it was interesting. And uh, there's a lot, unfortunately, a lot of negative aspects that can be involved in social media. I know that you and I were having this conversation uh, before we, we let everyone in. Um, and that can be, you know, really, really challenging. Um, I mean, I was just promoting a cover song maybe a month ago. And uh, I posted a video of me showing my fiance uh, a video of him and I listening to this song in, in his car. And that video also went uh, decently viral, but for all of the wrong reasons. It was just homophobic comment after homophobic comment. Uh, so much so that there was, uh, there was death threats that got involved. Um, and I remember this one guy actually took the time to send me a message saying, it's not hard looking at your Instagram and your Facebook uh, to find out which area of the city you live in. Maybe I'll just come take care of you myself. Uh, and of course, it's behind some anonymous profile, uh, you know, just a keyboard warrior. It never really... Um, it didn't really get under my skin, but it was a moment to kind of take pause and be like, this is, this is disappointing, you know, that it's 2023 and, and this is still something that's happening. But um, I think anytime that you're met with that amount of hateful ignorance, you can also choose to use it as motivation. Um, so if anything, it just kind of lit a fire under my ass that we need more visibility. We need more of this music out there. If me singing a love song uh, to my fiance is triggering for you, uh, you know, just wait until you hear the album. So, you know, so I'm okay with, uh, I feel like anytime that you're making waves, um, it means that you're doing something right. So 
I'm not afraid of that. And we'll be back. Hey, listener, you're listening to our podcast, which is a recorded session from one of our other online sessions. Every Tuesday, you can tune in and be part of it at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that is Toronto time. For those of you listening in from different parts of the world, uh, it's our Indie Weekly, and that means we talk with music industry professionals, artists, all about the music business. It's a great way to connect with others as we have people tuning in from around the world. We encourage dropping links, sharing, DMing, making real connections while learning about the music industry and uh, hearing from music industry professionals. So once again, that's Indie Weekly every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's Toronto time. And to sign up, just head over to IndieWeek.com and all the information is there. And we're back. You know, wow, you said a a lot and and really appreciate you sharing so honestly and openly. Um, I've seen a lot of stuff firsthand too. and not getting too deep into it, but uh, an Indigenous artist I was going to work with um, received similar types of comments when she sang a pop song, but in her own language. And how dare she use the language this way and such. And uh, unfortunately, uh, she did end up committing suicide uh, on that. So, So social media can be really damaging. So we need to preserve ourselves. But the one thing that I think is is uh, positive is I've also seen how fans and community have also rallied behind you in some comments as well to mm-hmm. lift you up in, in this kind of situation. Uh, and that's a very positive thing. And that's part of finding who your crew is. And, and then exactly. building community off of that, I think, is super important to, to note. Uh, there's good and bad. And, and I'll be honest, in music... The reality is there's always been good and bad. We've always criticized Michael Jackson for wearing one glove. We criticized Prince for wearing makeup. We criticized, you know, mm-hmm. Twisted Sister. We've criticized almost anybody that starts making it. It's kind of a weird business in that sense, isn't it? Uh, it really so is. Hard, it... And then when somebody's get, making it, we try to knock them down. And, and, and so... Yeah. Um, I really do believe that we're at a sort of point in time where this online space can really start creating more positivity than negativity uh, because we are connecting to people that are in different territories internationally like never before. And we see that that's visible to us and we can recognize that. And I think that that's something that's very powerful. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, I'm curious like where you're, so, you know, going through all of that, it sounds like you've come out stronger and more confident and even more determined if if i if i could say that yeah i mean i feel like i'm just trying to maybe for the first time in my life really enjoy the process and enjoy being an artist you know whether it's Uh, You know, I'm really lucky that this is a full time uh, thing for me and that at least right now uh, it's it's paying the bills, which is fantastic. Um, But I mean, that was also something that I think all of us sometimes need to take pause and ask ourselves is what is our definition of success, especially as an artist? And I think we get lost especially in the industry these days where uh, the industry is telling us that you're not worth your salt unless you have this many followers and you're not worth your salt unless you have this many streams. And we are chasing numbers constantly, these numbers. But you can't tell me, and I think that's actually one of the reasons why I do love Spotify in particular, because they give you these curated playlists, Discover Weekly, of all these artists that you may not have found. And I am finding these artists who have, you know, a couple thousand streams sometimes who are incredible. And is their art any less valuable than the global superstars with hundreds of millions of streams? 
You know, is that what we've done now in this industry is we've really put that firm of a price tag on someone's creativity. Um, and I think that's why, you know, creating because it's your purpose as an artist is what it comes down to. I remember, and believe me, I have not always been this Zen or this centered about it. I have stressed the fuck out about this many times, uh, but, uh, through therapy, um, I remember before I started this new project at the end of 2020, newly sober and kind of already on Bambi legs, uh, trying to figure out this, you know, this new life and talking to my therapist and, and saying, you know, like, but what if this single doesn't do well? And, you know, what if the trilogy that I released doesn't do well? And what if it doesn't bring me a new audience? And what if it doesn't bring me new gigs? And what if it doesn't bring me <clears throat> any type of revenue? Like, what am I going to do? And I was panicked. And, and she said to me, okay, like, let's say that it doesn't do any of those things. Do you not think that simply part of your purpose as an artist is to create? And I just remember my jaw hit the ground and I was like, what? Like, is it that simple? Have I been missing the plot this entire time? That is it just, is it that simple that you have something to say, you have a voice, um, you know, so, so use it. And I feel like when I started to take all the pressure off, all of those other things in one way or another really started to kind of fall into place a little bit. And believe me, there's still times that it's a struggle and sometimes I get down and I'm frustrated uh, that my trajectory of success isn't as, you know, rocket ship high as I would like it to be. Um, but I'm also really just trying to enjoy the process. And I have switched my focus to finding my crew to finding my family of fans one at a time. Why am I chasing streams when even a million of them isn't going to pay the bills, you know, where I can, you know, go live on TikTok three, four times a week and I take requests and I sing originals and I talk about the journey um, you know, of sobriety and of making art. And I, you know, bring the dogs over and I bring my fiance in and, uh, you know, maybe I can make a hundred bucks in a show or 150 bucks on a live stream. And it's, uh, it's just a new way of kind of looking at what it means to be successful in this industry. Well, like you said, it's, you have your own TV show, your own network and right. It's, right. it's very interesting that you said that because when we were launching Indie Weekly, this, what we're doing right now, it was like, okay, we're in lockdown. And, and for months we were like, I don't think we can do Indie Week at all this year. And then it was like, oh, I think we can do it online. I think, I don't know. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. We're already like only two months or a couple months away. Normally we'd have months of promotion and marketing and everything scheduled and speakers and sponsors. We had nothing. And we just were like, well, how are we going to market it? How about we go live? Let's, what are we going to call it? And literally lack of inspiration and no time. Indie Weekly, like no creativity right, right. at all. <laughs> right? It's good though. It's good though. And then we announced tickets on sale. And it's like, how many speakers do you have? None. What panels are programmed? Nothing. And we sold tickets the immediate, immediately after we launched the dates. And so mm -hmm. I really think that this digital age and, and also kind of being new, um, it, I, I think of like my days, I went to Grant McEwen in Edmonton and I took jazz and guitar and stuff. And one thing that I think we also forget as musicians how to improvise. It's like, mm -hmm. that's part of music is like, let's improvise. And it's like, okay, we're going live. When? Now hit the button. Great. We're live. What are we going to do? Talk. Okay. Great. Yeah. About what? Anything. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. And, and the second we were done, we're like, wow, like people showed up and okay, well, let's mm -hmm. do it every week. And here we are. Cause the thing is same as what you said, 
we've had nothing but positive reaction and and look at like even the amount of places we're hitting today it's literally around the mm-hmm. world you know it's it's literally around yeah, the world it's amazing so artists were like I, I used to play guitar that used to be my whole thing um we're often i think scared of putting ourselves out there and being fragile and until we do we don't know should we and and I think when you actually just here's it is and it gets easier and comfortable. Do you feel now soup like you're very comfortable on TikTok? <coughs> you're really finding your definition. And I'm I'm focusing on TikTok as the, the platform, but it could be Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. But you're telling your story and you're connecting. Like now, what's next? Like where where do you go from here? I think it's just the expansion of that, you know, it's uh, just, I call them follower dumps when you have a viral moment and all of a sudden you wake up and you have four or five, six, 7,000 more followers again. And they, and that's really what TikTok is. It's like these plateaus and then you have something that really resonates and then you get a big follower dump. So I just, because I'm releasing uh, a trilogy of cover songs, um, actually on Thursday of this week, um, the third and final one, uh, I did a cover of Cowboy Take Me Away uh, by the Chicks, like formerly the the Dixie Chicks. And uh, also just a song because my partner and I are planning on getting married in July and we were looking at wedding music and there is a ton of beautiful love songs out there um but very often it's very audible that it's a guy singing about a girl or a girl singing about a guy and i have always loved that song cowboy take me away and i was just like i want to cover it and i'm just gonna say there's a line in there that says cowboy take me away fly this girl as high as you can and i said i'm just gonna change it cowboy take me away fly this boy as high as you can uh sure enough i posted it on TikTok, and uh it was that was a moment that I did not expect, especially considering how it was posted maybe two or three weeks after I was getting all this homophobic rhetoric. So if anything, I thought I was just adding fuel to the fire. But what was so interesting is that it was the complete opposite and it just started resonating with the entire LGBTQ community um, from all over the world, but more specifically in these very conservative kind of Southern states. Uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Ohio. Um, And it was just, uh, it was really, really interesting to see um, the community kind of come forward and say, you know, uh, thank you for, for giving us this song and for, you know, for seeing maybe a piece of, the industry that that's missing, um, which is what's interesting to me, because to me, I was just like, I selfishly just wanted to release it so that I could play it at my own wedding. Uh, so it's nice to see that there has been this really positive kind of resonance uh, with people. Um, and now it's my job to kind of go through all of those videos that I posted using that song and finding out who's commenting and commenting back and commenting with a question so that they'll respond and starting to curate those relationships and find hopefully, you know, out of the thousands who have commented, can I get 15 to 25 or 50 to come over to my crew and start investing in me and my music and my art. And, and that's what I see it as it's these and i'm so blessed with the community that i have been able to form on TikTok uh specifically but throughout all of my social media um facebook and instagram are much much smaller but i still have a wonderful support system over there um and i tell everyone from the start uh i say if you are i say the three f's friends family and fans uh, and if you're one, then you're all to me. So if you are a fan of mine, you're immediately my friend, you are immediately part of my family. And 
Um, and it's not just blowing smoke. I really believe that this community have people have of people have carried me through some of the lowest moments of my sobriety journey. Um, you know, I unfortunately lost three of my grandparents in in the, in this past year in 2022. And, uh, you know, I was able to, you know, hit go live on TikTok and kind of cry it out as I'm cooking a batch of my Oma's soup and going through memories. And it's just letting people in in a way that who you are as an artist and what motivates you as an artist, they start to get a little bit of a handle on and they really want to. I think that's what we need as artists is to find a crew of support, a community of a su of support that is constantly rooting for your success. And it's challenging. And I'm not saying it's for everyone because letting people into those very personal details of your life is a choice. And it often does come with um, judgment. Uh, so I would say I encourage you to do it. Uh, just know exactly who you are before you do it, because you will have a bunch of people trying to tell you who you are if you don't know. Mm, wise. Uh, wow, Theo. Uh, give me lots, lots to think about here. And I, I relate to a lot. Like, you know, growing up in Alberta is an interesting place to grow up when you're uh, in music um, mm. back then. And so where I'm trying to relate is that this exists online. It exists in person. It's, it's always, I think, has been this, but now it's kind of more really in our face because we have social media and things are so mm -hmm. public. Like you post and like, wow, people are piling on and really like tearing this person up, unfortunately, online or really lifting them up. Like it's, it's one or the other seems like a lot of the times and it's, it's yeah. really crazy. Uh, but I remember growing up and I remember like there's the jocks, the headbangers, the artists, the <laughs> athletes, this and that. And like, you had to kind of find where you're fitting. And that's one thing I never really fit in because I, I wanted to be hockey and stuff. And then I was like long hair, headbanger. And, and it, I would hang out with one group. And then the next time they'd be like, why are you hanging out with them? And then go away with these people. And then, why are you hanging out over there? Uh, so right. in person, it's been a lot of that. And, and uh, I've also sort of, you know, fairly through Indie Week, had come to the realization, uh, especially early on when we were trying to define what Indie Week was, it was a hobby. It wasn't meant to be a business or a thing. It just wanted, here's a place for Toronto bands to play and be seen, because many times Toronto bands wouldn't get a spot in one of the other festivals I'll not name right now. Mm -hmm. and, right. and when we <laughs> launched, it was like, so, so what bands do you have playing? I'm like, well, you the purpose is for you to come discover them because they're brand new bands. Oh, I, I've never heard of any of these. That's the point. And, and right. the other part would be like, Oh, so Indie Week's like this festival. No, it's not. Oh, well then it's like this one. No, it, it's literally local Toronto focused bands to right. discover. And, and exactly. so we got that for like number of years trying to find our space in, in what we do. Um, so I totally understand that type of process, but what I really found is, well, you know what, screw the others. This is what we're doing and we just want to do it really well and find the people that get what we're doing and who cares about exactly. the rest. And I think that, that that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. I think it's like when you kind of really find that and what social media has done for us, oh, that's trending. Oh, I, I better I better get a guitar and five people. Oh, oh, that's trending. Mm -hmm. I better start cooking. I better, and I think we're right. chasing stuff and not getting the same results. And mental health wise, we're getting down on ourselves because, like, well, it's not working for me. So, mm -hmm. uh, what you said really resonates. Is find what works for you and elevate that. Um, but what you said about really connecting and actually talking back, like we're people. Hey, look, somebody commented. Yeah. 
let's comment back to them. Let's let's talk. I exactly. I feel like that's one thing that's often lost is that it's called social media. So don't forget the social aspect. You are meant to be <laughs> to be social. You cannot just expect to throw your music out there and without any type of engagement uh, expect people to like or share or invest in in your music there has to be something that you are giving them back you know the relationship has to be symbiotic absolutely and and you know uh, I think if we really look at the history of music, it's we've gone through this. Like I remember, like I've studied history a lot, and I'm I'm like a geek in like how how did that artist make it? And the mm. stories are very similar a lot of the times. And at some point in many careers, artists are like, well, I don't want to do what I'm told by the record label, or I want to change. And I'll, I'll use Bob Dylan as an example where he was a folk artist for a long time. And then also he's like, I'm going to play an electric guitar. And all of a sudden people are right. burning his albums and like, oh, how dare you play an electric guitar? You're a folk artist. Like, that's crazy mm -hmm. to think of now, but that still happens, you know, but now online yeah. in a more public pl place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I think... You you hit the nail on the head when you were saying it's about you have to zone in on on what you do and just be authentic. I think that's what it comes down to is authenticity. When it's something that's authentically you, it's not going to feel like this charade, uh, which the industry these days especially can often feel like one. Um, when it's like, I feel like so many things are based in controversy and, and these things that are outside of the music, but if it's authentically you, and if you're just sharing these pieces of yourself that are related to, uh, your music or your art, because you are the artist, you're the vessel, um, people are just, you're just giving people another facet to attach themselves to, um, but I, I do want to share and I try to anytime I get this, I get a chance to speak about music or my career. I try to throw this in there. The best piece of advice I ever received, which completely changed the way that I, you know, I walk through my life as an artist is it's our job as artists to emotionally attach ourselves to the process of creating a hundred percent emotionally invest everything we are into the process but do not become emotionally attached to the result once you release it once if you're a painter and you throw all of your emotions and so much of your life and your person and your being into this painting once it's done it's done let what happens to it you can do whatever you can do if you're an artist you release a song you can do whatever you can do you can try to make sure that everything is lined up that you should be able to get millions and millions and millions of streams. <clears throat> it's wasted energy. Focus on just creating the music and finding your people that you can find to listen to it and who are going to care about you enough and invest in you enough that they want to share it on their Twitter. They want to share it on their Facebook. They want to text their friend being like, yo, I met this super cool artist on TikTok that has a great day and you should go check him out. And then they send them a link, right? That's what you're, that's what you're chasing. And I found for me, when I started to really, really focus on the tiny little things that I can do, um, rather than the plethora of things that I have no control over is when shit really started to get moving for me. Wow. That's, that's wise advice. And I, I've, I've heard something similar in that once you release music, it's not yours anymore. And in mm. the sense that, um, and, and I'm kind of relating to a st story I saw going on YouTube like yesterday and it's really funny. I was like, really? This is what people have time to do online? Is uh, Def Leppard 
is talking about playing three new songs in their set. And people are like, whoa, that's too many new songs. Like play the right. old stuff that we know, right? And and it's it's funny to see like there's such like ongoing discussion. No, they should be able to play what they want. And well, I want to hear the hits and such. And a lot of cases, it's like the audience really determines what they want. The community will give you feedback. We like this, this part, maybe not so much. And 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 that's something to I think is important to listen to your community or fans in what is connecting with them and what's not connecting with them. Not saying change stuff, but just be aware. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's something that I saw on the weekend. I was like, really, you're talking about three new songs a band's playing? Like, really? You right. Time to be like, oh, this sucks, right? And um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does remind me. I went to an Iron Maiden concert where they played all new songs and not one old song, and everyone's walking out. Mm. Well, that sucked. I've never seen Iron Maiden again. <clears throat> then they went mm. back to playing stuff but you know it's an interesting thing because i think we have to be in touch with our audience we have to know and and i've been through stuff in the music industry like uh literally when grunge came out hair metal was gone you know and and it's like we go through phases so i think that that's important to to be aware of but what i know is what's timeless is when people have defined themselves and they're the only one like there's only one prince there's only one Elton John, yeah. only one Bob Dylan, only one David Bowie, only one, uh, I'd say, uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac. Like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. naming classics off the top of my head here. Um, one Dolly Parton, you know, and mm-hmm. and anything that might have been weird turned into their uniqueness. And there's only one. And I think that that's something to be said about is really define what is you that sets yourself apart from everyone else. And that becomes iconic. That becomes timeless, you know? Um, right. Exactly. What What are your thoughts on that type of, you know, defining yourself? Like what's the one thing that you do that no one else does? Uh, what are your thoughts on that as an artist? Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm on the hot seat. I know. And I feel like no matter how I answer this, like, it's going to come. There's no way to answer this question without coming across like arrogant. I feel what's the one thing I do that no one else does. Um, I, for me, (laughs) for me, I have, especially in an industry that is leaning more and more and more towards, um, auto tune and melodyne and produced vocals I think that I stand apart because um, I have tried to build my career um, ever since, you know, that super awkward kid on Canadian Idol. I have tried to hone my craft as a vocalist. And I want to make sure that when you come to my show uh, or when you watch my live stream that I am uh, singing the shit out of whatever song I'm singing. Um, I, so yeah, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm the best singer and no one can sing like me, but I think that I, I deliver uh, a vocal that is rare these days. And I'll second that. Uh, Man, if you have not seen Theo, go to TikTok, go to Instagram, go to YouTube, look up the old videos. Um, Man, I, got, <laughs> yeah. I have to say, you've got true talent and uh, like, you know, going back to the days of going through applications, <clears throat> that song right away, I was like, we have to have them play. And and uh, that's, that's wicked. And the, our approach was, listen, don't look. So I didn't go to mm-hmm. websites. I didn't open anything. I actually just listened to songs and we would go, yes, no, maybe. And then here's the yeses. And let's now review again and make sure like we would actually review each time, each song or application three times, at least to be wow. like, these are the ones that we want to have a, a part, part in Indie Week. And so, That's um, amazing. yeah. And, and uh, I'm so happy that 
what's going on with your career right now. Uh, it's so glad Thank to reconnect. You. I know we reconnected. Yes, yeah, likewise. BMW showcase or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, thank you so much, Theo. Is there one last thing before we uh, sign off for the day that you want to share or your last closing comment? Um, I guess for me, and I don't know if this is, I feel like it has to, for someone watching, we are in an industry that is rampant with uh, substance abuse and problematic drinking, especially in the music industry. It is everywhere. Not only is it everywhere, but it is encouraged. Um, and I guess I would just leave you with the simple fact of just let your art be your high. Be that creative person. Don't You don't have to wear the badge of tortured artist because we've been so conditioned to believe that that's what artists are. Um, just let your art be your high. Amazing. Uh, and I already see people commenting. Thank you so much, everybody. All right. So that does it for another episode of the Indie Weekly Podcast. We, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. And if you enjoyed these conversations that we share here on the podcast, then I think you would really love coming to the Indie Weekly webinars. Throughout the year, we're having them every Tuesday. They're always at 4 p.m. Eastern time. That's like New York or Toronto time. And it's all about high-level conversations, bringing in experts from all facets of the music and related industries to share their experiences, best practices, tips, advice, really actionable advice with artists. It's all about helping artists boost their own careers, but it's also about community, connecting with each other, connecting with the guests, connecting with Daryl Hurds, uh, who always hosts. And best of all, it's free. So go to IndieWeek.com, hit the Indie Weekly tab at the top of the page and see what's coming up. Think you'd really enjoy it. Certainly worth your time. We'd love to see you there. And last but certainly not least, before we go, just one more shout out and thank you to our wonderful sponsors and funders. Uh, those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, the SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer, who provide legal services in Atlantic Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. So without the support of all of them, us here at Indie Week, we couldn't do what we do to help out and work for the music community. So big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good one.